I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 74, Michael Bay. Today's proverb comes from Stanislaw Lech. I'll read it twice. No snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. Once more. No snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. Why? Why does no snowflake in an avalanche ever feel responsible? The obvious answer to this question is because the avalanche doesn't depend on any individual snowflake. Every snowflake in an avalanche can say, if I wasn't here, this would still happen. Every snowflake is also, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, of course, every snowflake in an avalanche is free to invent its own reasons why its own participation in the avalanche is very different from all the other snowflakes' participation in the avalanche. An individual snowflake can say, my participation in this avalanche is ironic. An individual snowflake can say, I have better reasons to be here than the other snowflakes. 
the individual snowflake can say, well, I also support the ski lodge that this avalanche is currently demolishing. This is a proverb about mobs, of course. And when you hear the proverb, no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible, it's easy to immediately think of a riot and to imagine the way that one individual rioter excuses throwing a rock. The individual rioter might say, well, if there wasn't something to riot about, we wouldn't all be here. So I'm not acting alone. And because I'm not acting alone, I'm not uniquely responsible for what I do. The whole mob shares responsibility for this. Everyone who's rioting shares responsibility for this. And given how many riots and how many mobs we've seen in the last two years, and how many think pieces have been written about riots and mobs, I imagine that everyone, or most listeners, have read some sort of think pieces, some sort of... Uh, thoughtful essay, you know, on the Atlantic website or Front Porch Republic on how mobs work, how riots work. And, uh, you know, you've also probably read some statistics from sociologists and uh, reports on psychological studies of individuals who participate in a riot. But this is not just a proverb about riots. This is not just a proverb about mobs. And it's easy to think, of course, of mobs and riots because no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. And an avalanche is something destructive. People die in avalanches. Avalanches um, might even, a really extreme avalanche might level a small town at the base of a mountain. But this is not just a proverb about mobs and riots. This is a proverb about society or about the way that individual modern men have been trained to think about their relationship to society. Modern people talk about society often. We talk about community often. We talk about society often. If you want to know just how much modern people talk about society or community, go online and find a full-text document of Augustine's City of God. You can find these things. Do a Google search for City of God in quotes and then full text in quotes. And you'll, you'll find a page that has on a single page. And you'll have to scroll down really far to get to the bottom, but we'll have the entire City of God on a page. And then just do a control F search for society or community. And I think you'll be impressed by just how little Augustine spoke of society and community. I mean, the, these words are in there. And it's not uh, the fault of the translator who encountered the word society or community and just translated it differently. 
There's discussions of society and community in there, but there's not extensive usage of society as a concept in the city of God. One of the longest, most important theological works in the history of the world has very little on society and community in it. Now, City of God is probably a thousand pages long. If a modern theologian were to attempt to write a book as broad, um, as, as diverse in subject matter, as comprehensive as the City of God, and had a thousand pages to do so, I'd be shocked if a contemporary theologian mentioned society and community less than 500 times in a thousand page book. We love to talk about society. Community is kind of a passing interest. Community is a fashionable concept among Christians, among, uh, among big corporate websites. Lots on community at the moment. It's been that way for 15 years or so. Community will probably die out, but community as a, as a fashionable concept will die out. But society is really here to stay. Modern people love talking about society. Medieval people were more or less indifferent to it. Don't find a lot about society in uh, works from the Middle Ages or late antiquity. Modern people love to talk about society. Beliefs about society, really antagonistic beliefs about society, might be the foundation of modern philosophy. The idea that society is the problem is not terribly old. Really, as soon as we decided that society was the problem, we couldn't stop talking about it. And the idea that society is a problem is really absent in Renaissance literature. It's absent in middle, um, medieval literature, ancient literature. Often enough, society is the solution. Society is good. But it's the modern man that believes that society is a problem. And we find this idea beginning, I would say, in the 18th century. And it's French slash Swiss political philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau who exonerates the individual against any charges society might level at him. And in The Social Contract, a book I've taught, I don't know, taught and read, lost count, 15 times. It's in the social contract that Rousseau pins problems on society. He assumes the purity of the individual. He assumes that, first of all, man is not a social animal by nature, because if man was a social animal by nature, then society would be natural and society would have to be good. Rousseau doesn't believe that man is naturally social. He believes that he's naturally an individual. And that everybody's, not that everybody dies alone, but that everybody's born alone. A bizarre, difficult to substantiate claim, given motherhood and all that. In fact, it's easier to believe that everybody dies alone. It's, there's a kind of common sense that prevents me from accepting the idea that every man is born alone. But man is born free and he is everywhere in chains. This is Rousseau. That we come into the world pure 
And it's other individuals that mess us up. It's the conglomeration of other individuals that are ruinous to the individual. And so Rousseau argues not that everyone should remain Robinson Crusoe alone on their island, but that you really ought to limit your interactions with other people, uh, especially as concerns important subjects. When, it, when important political matters or important religious matters are on the line, you really just need to do what you think is right and not listen to anybody else. You don't want other people uh, degrading uh, the purity and authenticity of your ideas. The best thing that you can give others is a sort of intuitive, uninformed opinion. Now, there's, you know, a lot of listeners, I'm sure, who hear this and think, well, that is obviously wrong. Man is a social animal. We can prove all of this from Genesis we can prove all of this rather quickly from scripture or from just a, an honest observation of the sort of conditions under which human beings thrive and the social animal. However, it's worth noting that even if you believe that, even if you believe that man is a social animal, there are still times when large groups of people are obnoxious to you. And it vexes you to be in the company of many other people. Now, there are, there are certain events that are more fun if there's a ton of people. There are certain events that are more fun in an avalanche, so to speak. Like when there's some big event movie and you go on opening night and it's a sold-out theater and there's a kind of nervous energy in the room as the film is starting, then it feels good to be in the company of a lot of people. Or uh, I'm sure that um, it would feel quite strange to be alone at the Super Bowl if there was some huge stadium holds 80,000 people and you were the lone spectator. That would probably be uh, a bit off-putting. Because the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl because many people are watching it. And so there are certain events that really only exist with a crowd. It's hard to imagine those things without a crowd. I would submit to you that there's not all that many events like that. I think there's some. There's some events that thrive on a crowd. But so many things, so many events are ruined by a crowd. Like... If you are touring the American West and there are hordes of tourists standing between you and Old Faithful, or if you find it difficult to get to the edge of the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls because there's all these people here, those are the kind of occasions where all these people make it seem sort of tawdry especially when all those people are tourists. When there's a lot of people, you complain. There's so many people here. And you feel or you want to believe that your reasons for seeing it are better than everyone else's reasons. Or that your appreciation of the thing is deeper. 
And those are the ways that the snowflake distinguishes itself from the avalanche. All these other people are ruining it for me. You don't feel responsible for the avalanche of people. You're not in everyone else's way. They're in your way. I think this is the way it is most of the time. We loathe crowds. It's a rare occasion wherein the modern individual welcomes a crowd or welcomes being part of a crowd because crowds remind you that you're not special. Especially when you go to... Like, if you go to a big event movie and you observe all the other people there, so many of them look like dorks. Like, man, that's not why I'm here. I understand this on a deeper level. My enjoyment of this film is replete with an understanding of Christ figures. Which means that while I'm here on opening night and I'm excited, not like that, moron over there who wore a cape. In order to enjoy being part of a crowd, the modern man has to believe that the thing he's come to see is special, so special that it sublimates the crowd to itself. And if the event that you're seeing is so special, the Super Bowl, Game 7 of the NBA Finals, then you get to participate in the specialness of the thing that you're seeing and, and the crowd prove that it's special, but you bypass the crowd and commune directly with the thing. And this enables you to forget that you're part of a crowd and that you're not special. The sense of distance that we feel from the avalanche allows us, modern man, to have guilty pleasures or to make ironic purchases. There's nothing, though, that determines the shape of modern culture more than money. This is a claim that's made by Michael Minkoff Jr. in his book, According to His Excellent Greatness. I've mentioned this book several times in articles I've written on cultural matters for Circe. And it's an idea that I explore pretty far in my next book, Love What Lasts. Michael Minkoff Jr. claims cash registers do not distinguish between ironic purchases and unironic ones. It's an awesome point. The box office does not distinguish between a begrudging ticket purchase and an excited one. The avalanche doesn't distinguish between snowflakes that count and ones that don't. If a certain movie makes a lot of money, more movies like it will come out. Spotify doesn't care if you listen to Cardi B songs while sent to a private session. It counts those streams just the same. The consumerist miracle is performed whether you have an incognito web browser going or not. As a matter of fact, the, the digital privatization of art makes people feel even less responsible for the avalanche than they used to, because you're really not a snowflake in an avalanche. You're a snowflake in a virtual avalanche. You don't even have to be 
present for the avalanche. You can, you can participate remotely in the avalanche without, every, without anybody ever finding out. 20 years ago, if you wanted to see Eurotrip, you had to tell the guy working at the box office, one ticket for Eurotrip, please. And even if not that, you had to go to the video store and carry the Eurotrip box up to the front of the video store and physically indicate to the person working, I want to watch this movie and they could see the cover. Now, granted, if there's a line of 50 people all buying tickets for Eurotrip, you certainly feel less responsible than if you're all alone in the theater. But today, you can watch whatever you want. You can listen to whatever want, whatever you want. You can read whatever you want. And absolutely no one has to know. So in a sense, like why, do, why would the snowflake feel responsible for the avalanche? It wasn't even there. Now, I don't want to come across like a conspiracy theorist, but... These thoughts on society, the idea that society is the villain and that the individual must correct the abuses of society, the idea that society is awful, the taste of society is awful, and that you can participate ironically or from a distance in the bad taste of society, or that you only participate in the bad tastes of society so that you know what's going on in the world, all of this seems calculated, like demonically calculated to get people to forget that at the end of time you're not going to judge society and society is not going to judge you God is going to judge you the one who knows you the one who sees beyond plausible excuses you don't have to impress society. You have to impress God. Like Job did. And if God is impressed, you will suffer for it. As Job suffered. And so it doesn't really matter what kind of inventive gymnastic reasons that you come up with for participating in the avalanche because the avalanche doesn't judge you and the ski lodge that you demolish in the avalanche doesn't judge you the judge is a transcendent one What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.